What I want to do is start out by talking about our mind and our brain. And I know I speak about this often, but this is a very important link that shows the connection between our life here and the other side of the veil. And the reason why it carries over between near-death experiences, after-death communication, past life, post-life, and current life memory is because our tangible body is working as a receiver of sorts, an antenna, and our brain is the receiver, and our mind is on outside. It's on the other side of the veil. So let's start with that. Our brain is what sits inside of our skull, and our mind resides outside in the quote-unquote spirit world or the world unseen. Now our brain acts as a receiver and our body works kind of like an antenna. And our mind is the transmitter. All right, so we have a receiver and a transmitter. And our body is a highly sophisticated electromagnetic organism. Now this is really important to remember that, that we are an electromagnetic organism. Now basically for communication between here and there, so let's pretend between Earth and space, we need two things. We need a transmitter and we need a receiver. Now a transmitter encodes a message into electromagnetic waves through a form of modulation, which changes properties of the wave to represent the data. These waves or vibration flow towards the receiver, our brain, and the receiver collects the electromagnetic waves and modulates them or decodes the sender's message. Then we get to add a type of quantum entanglement to the mix. But for now, let's continue with the after-death communication. I consider um, near-death experiences to also be a form of after-death communication because as your mortal shell is clinically dead, your mind is very much still viable. In fact, it is still interacting with other minds or souls on the other side of the veil, just as it is right now. The difference between now and when we pass on is now we have our receiver and what's happening with our receiver is it's tuning into different channels and blocking out other channels that are not needed for our survival here. So as we are developing um, and as after we are born, I mean all the way through our life actually, our mind is fine-tuning. So it starts narrowing and narrowing and narrow, narrowing in on the information that is needed for our survival here and it starts blocking out other non-essential information. 
which would be, for example, past lives and why children that have past lives typically by the age of seven or eight lose that memory because it's not useful here. Now, sometimes it continues on, but that can be another conversation for another time. (laughs) In thinking about the ways to answer this or to explain the answer to this question, I'm going to pare it down even further and then let you ask questions if you would like, and then we can we can kind of explore the answer that way. Um, and I think that might work best. So then rather going into my own near-death experiences and past life memories as a child, I'm going to start with my oldest son. When I was very young, Uh, still a child, (laughs) I had interactions with several spirits. One of them being such a comfort, such a familiar feeling every time it was near. And that was something that I really needed and craved when I was very young. I needed that comfort. In my later adolescence, I became very busy with school and sport that most of my time was overtly occupied (laughs) and rarely did I have the time at night to do anything but sleep once my head hit the pillow. So I really didn't receive messages because it was non-essential. So I really was basically focusing on what was going on here. (laughs) But after a while, I started thinking, is this what I really want my life to look like? It, It was just school and sport, school and sport, actually sport, school and sport during lunch, and then school and then sport. There was just such a big piece missing in my life, something that I needed to explore and learn, and school wasn't teaching it to me formally, and swimming wasn't doing it for me. So just before I turned 17, I ran away. (laughs) Um, I spent the first couple weeks in a phone booth and browsed the wanted ads, and found myself a position as a housekeeper and a nanny, thank goodness. And then, needless to say, I met a nice boy, and sure enough, after my very first encounter with him, I was pregnant. (laughs) And the pregnancy didn't go very well. Almost three months into it, I started spotting and began losing the baby. Now, the thing was, the instant I got pregnant, I recognized something. I didn't quite put my finger on it, but I recognized something. There was something familiar going on or around me in my body. And just before um, I had a DNC, I realized what it was. And the spirit that was in my womb was the same spirit that was at the foot of my bed when I was a very young child. And somehow, 
not in human words. It told me that it just wasn't time and that it's okay. So a few years later, I became pregnant with my son. And again, it was this spirit. And when I held him, it was like a reunion of sorts. Now, over the next years, I had two more children, two more boys, and we had many spiritual events happening. Many events that took place, not only for me to be the only witness or my children to be the witness, but friends and strangers even got to witness these things. Like one time we were at the Ford Museum in Michigan. You can walk down this one aisle and it has kind of the development of the telephone. So you can see the earliest telephone all the way to the then um, modern home phone that was still kind of stuck on the wall. As we walked by, there was a woman in front of us, we'd never met her before, and there's people behind us. And as we walked by, the handset off of these telephones started flying off. So like we would pass one, it would fly off, pass one, fly off, pass one, fly off. Another event, we were at a picnic, a company picnic for Ford Motor Company, because a friend of mine was doing an internship there and we were visiting. And said, come on out, we're doing a picnic. And so we all sat down having a conversation and I had a cup of pop and it was kind of in the middle of the table. And literally, now I'm sitting there with a bunch of engineers. <laughs> okay. And literally this cup picks itself up off of the table and dumps it into my lap. The engineer that's sitting directly across from me, I have no idea who he was. He sat quiet along with some of the other people. And finally he said, did anyone else just see that? And then they, they had no explanation for it. Um, so that, that was really interesting. So anyway, and because of all these events happening, my children and I were in the car one day and we said, well, let's make a promise to each other. Let's promise that we will haunt one another should one of us die first. A few years later, my oldest son had become an army ranger and at the age of 22, um, he decided that it was time for him to go and he took his life. I remember that phone call. I remember that phone call, oh my God. I had just uh, woken up from a procedure at the hospital and was still pretty groggy. And um, I saw a voicemail waiting for me on my phone and I said, oh, it's from 
my son's area code and I thought maybe his battery ran out or or something I, and so I listened to the message and it says this is the chaplain from the police department and I need to talk to you about your son In stages of grief, we go through a denial, even though deep down we know what happened. And uh, I remember, I remember my heart saying, did my son get married? Why would the chaplain be calling me? And I'm dialing the number back and I know, oh my God, I knew. Um, we're going to go backwards a little bit. I make chocolate. I make chocolate and everywhere I go I have a bag full of chocolate. And I give it out. So I, I make chocolate as a gift and when I meet people I share the gift of chocolate with them. No one has actually ever asked me if I would like some chocolate. And I remember my kids and I always talking about that. Not always, but one time they, they did ask. They're like, does anybody ever give you chocolate, Mom? And I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't really remember anybody, aside from my father when I was like three, giving me chocolate. So I'm on the airplane, getting ready to go pick my son's ashes up, or getting ready to go out there. The flight attendant comes over and she sees I'm sad. I, I think it would have been impossible not to see that I was sad. And she asked if I wanted some water or anything, and I said, no, thank you. And she walks all the way into the first class cabin, and literally, and I'm just kind of in a daze, and I'm watching her, and she halts. I mean, it wasn't like she just stopped. She literally just halted and turned around and came back to my seat. And she says, I know this is going to sound really weird, really strange. She says, but I feel like I need to ask you if you would like some chocolate. And I was, and I was just quiet. I didn't, it didn't dawn on me what was happening. And part of me wanted to say yes, but I just couldn't. And I said, no, thank you. So I picked my middle son up. Um, he was going to university about five hours away from where my older son was. And we're in the car. 
driving along and we get almost to the hill where my son took his life. And we're looking up at the foggy sky and it is dense fog. So it's October 31st right now on this day. And the sky is dense fog. And then we both look out to our left-hand side and in the sky are, it looks like a finger painting of two eyes and a frowning mouth. Within two miles of seeing that I'm driving and it was like I passed through a wall and or a runner's tape you know when you're running a race and you run through the tape and it breaks on your chest I mean I've never had that happen but um, and that tape that broke across my chest it literally it literally hit my chest and then went over onto the sides said I'm sorry mom I didn't mean it And my spirit instantly responded, I know, Davy boy, I know. From there, after I picked up his ashes and made my way back home, I walked into the kitchen and there's this little yellow bird sitting on the windowsill outside. And for the next two weeks, every time I went into the kitchen, that bird was there and it would not leave. If I walked over to another room that was you know, within the kitchen and the window, it would hop down and go over to that window and sit on that sill or sit at the door. If I had the door open, it would just sit on the threshold. And then I was getting ready to buy the house in Big Sur, California, and I went and turned my car in for an oil change and got a rental car. And when I checked in at the rental agency, um, now my son had his own insurance and there's absolutely no way that the insurance company would have his telephone number, but when I checked in to pick up my rental car, the lady behind the desk started, you know, saying, okay, this is your address, and is this the best contact phone number to reach you at? And she recited a telephone number, which was not my telephone number, it was my son's former telephone number. Then I get to the parking lot, and this man, out of the blue and my son's number was three just so you know so like 333 333 and we would always call him at 333 every day my youngest son and I would call him every day at 333 but anyway there's this man in the parking lot and I go over and I get in my car and he walks across the parking lot and he literally 
kind of appeared out of nowhere and taps on my window. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, should I open my door? Should I not? It's in the middle of the day. So I kind of roll my window down and he puts his hand on top of the rolled down window and he has three fingers. And he says, he wants you to know he's okay. And I said, what? And then he went on to tell me everything that my son had told me two weeks, three weeks before he took his life. And so I just had no other choice. I got out of the car and gave this man a hug. So I get in to Monterey and I check in to the hotel. It was the La Playa Hotel. And at... 3.33 in the morning, and I have video of this now, <laughs> so maybe I can upload it. The lights in the bathroom turn on. Now, the lights in the bathroom turn on not like someone just is turning them off and on. They turn on so brightly that the entire room fills with this intense white light. And it stays on for like 30 seconds. And it startled me awake. And I'm just laying there. I'm like, Davy boy, is that you? And the lights turn back off. I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm like, I wonder. I was like, Davy boy, if that's you, can you do it again? And my eyes are getting sleepy and I'm just emotionally exhausted. And so I'm falling asleep and I, and I reach for my phone and I turn the recorder on and I kind of angle it so it's filming where the bathroom is just in case I fall asleep. I don't want to miss it. And sure enough, it happened again. The most intense, bright, white light, and you can just see it, it how, how it ebbs on. Just amazing. There's no way those light bulbs make that amount of light. And then it turns off, and then it did it one more time um, throughout the night. <clears throat> so the next day, I check out of the hotel, and I'm going to go up and see the house and meet with a contractor. And I'm sitting at the Carmel Valley Roasting Company and, and having a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, I hear a child yell, Mom! So I kind of look around to see who's calling to their mom and there's nobody around. And then I hear, mom, don't leave me. And I knew that was my son. So I get back in the car and I drive back over to the hotel. I walk in the front door and the receptionist says, Miss Muter, did you want to go back up to your room? 
And I said, yes, I do. And she says, you can go ahead and go. And I said, can I get a key? And she says, the door should be open. So I go back up there. And as I'm walking up the stairs, you can just feel, I mean, if you lifted your sleeve up, the electricity is so thick. And when you walked into that room, now I leave my hotel rooms clean. I kind of make the bed. But when I got to this room, it looked like a tornado had gone off. The mattress was off the bed. The toiletries were everywhere. There was towels strewn everywhere and cleaning supplies. So the maid had gone in there and she left because something frightened her so badly that she wouldn't even go back into that room. And when you walk into that room, it was like a heartbeat. Woom, 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 woom of energy pulsing all over. I was like, Davy boy, you gotta come with me. We're going up to the new house. So David was with me for probably two full years after he passed away. Not constant, not every single day, but he would come in and check on me. He would hold my hand in the car. Um, at dinner time, he would turn the microwave on, so he would hit buttons on the microwave, brand new microwave. It would go beep, 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 three buttons, and then it would turn on. I would get up, turn it off, and it would do it three times, sometimes during dinner. There was, now I live with a medical oncologist who is also a scientist. And for him to witness some of these things, he was like, oh my gosh, this is just astounded me. He said said that he'd never really seen anything like this. And there was a lock in one of the rental houses that we had. And it was locking a little doorway. Now there's no windows inside the, not the doorway, a little room. Now there were no windows inside of the room. The room was inside of a closet and the air conditioning wasn't on. We checked everything, but the lock itself picked itself up so locks dangle down and this lock picked itself up so now it was horizontal and started picking itself like it was going to open itself on the radio stations in the car i would i had sirius xm radio and i would turn the car on and the radio station would say love and the first couple lines of the songs would be a message. So it would say love. And then it was, it would say mama, you know, like queen, and then bounce to another song and say, I'm sorry, it had to end this way. Uh, I was on a car ride and in the sky, three pillars came down, and I, I did take pictures of these. Three pillars came down, and all of a sudden, then the cloud formation turned into an angel. And that's not the only cloud formation 
that I've seen before. Like I said, I lived in Big Sur, California, and there's a bunch of humpbacks that would float up and down or dance and breach and live their life up and down the coast several times a year. And one time, right where my house is, the cloud formation, and I'll post this as well, is actually a humpback whale. Like, there's no mistaking it. It is a humpback whale. I'll post that as well so you can see it. So when we're talking about does consciousness continue after we leave this life, the reason why I went through and told you all, you know, a lot of these things that had happened was one main point. And that one main point is this. In order for someone or something to send you a message that you would recognize and understand whether that message comes from another person, whether that message comes from an animal, whether that message comes from a feeling, in order for you to recognize that, thought has to be behind it and not just your thought. The person or being sending you the message is thinking of ways to send you messages that you would understand, that you would recognize. And that is not happen chance. That That is a continuation of consciousness. Coming down and reaching us. So, yikes, we covered a lot of things in the last half an hour. And there are a lot of topics inside what we spoke about in the last half an hour. So if you have any other questions or if you want to talk about certain areas a little bit more, you're welcome to private message me or text me um, and whatever, however you want to get a hold of me, that's fine. I don't charge anything to talk. I, I love hearing people's stories and I love answering to the best of my ability questions. And with that, this is Marin, and I'm signing off. <laughs> I hope this helped. Bye.